Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Get Me Started. Before I begin today, I'd first like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, who are the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Indigenous persons listening today. I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and that this land was, is and always will be traditional Aboriginal land. I'd encourage any of my listeners to do some more research and understand more about the land on which you live, work and play on every day. Welcome back to episode seven, everybody. I'm joined today by the lovely Sam, who's going to be talking to us about being one and a half generation Australian. <laughs> Sam, how are you going? How I'm is good? Um, obviously a little bit nervous. It's my first time being on a podcast, but I'm very excited to talk about um, my experiences and just have this dialogue and discourse, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's been lovely to have you here. So yeah. for those of you who don't know Sam, we've been friends for a number of years now. and A very long time. <laughs> very long time. Sam did psychology at Uni Melb. Uh, she's grown up in Australia, but her mum is Filipino and her dad is Aussie. Sam is someone who is a very dependable person and she's very wise in the way that she goes about her life. She's always got wonderful pieces of advice to give her friends and she's also the life of the party when she wants to be. <laughs> so I'm sure that today's episode will be filled with a lot of insight and also possibly a lot of laughter as we've got quite a close friendship. So the topics that we <laughs> want to talk about and want to touch on relate to both of our experiences of talking about race and identity um, and come from a very personal place, I think. I, myself, am an Anglo-Australian, and so my own experiences of discussing race and learning about race are framed around that, whereas Sam has grown up mixed race in Australia, and that's kind of the crux of what we want to talk about today. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think it's interesting that before we started recording the podcast, we um, kind of touched on the fact that we both feel like this is making ourselves a little bit vulnerable by talking about this because you know maybe we're going to slip up or say something but it's just nice to try and have this conversation I suppose and and yeah to just to talk about it. So what is it about the topic of being one and a half generation Australian that gets you started? <laughs> well before I get into my whole spiel I'd also just like to acknowledge that the um, traditional owners of the land that I'm recording from are the Wurundjeri people as well. Um, I feel like it's so hard because obviously my whole experience with being mixed race in Australia is just my life. So to try and condense that down into, you know, almost 24 years down into one podcast is definitely tricky. And I also kind of feel like, I also just want to say that I don't think that I, I like, you know, there's so many other things that I could have talked about today and I'm so passionate about a lot of things, but for me, obviously I think that hearing about everyone's experience of their identity and their, their heritage is extremely valuable. And it's not like I'm trying to single out my own as being something that's more special than someone else. But when Fear and I first talked about me doing the podcast, I just thought that it would be such a lovely place and would give me so much agency to talk about my experience of being mixed race because growing up I feel like there was never any discussions about it and there was never any representation for someone like me so it's just nice to you know come full circle in that and be able to sort of be that person for myself as well. Yeah and I think that's the wonderful thing about this format and about this platform is that it is it's all personal and it's yeah. about delving into those topics that we wish we could speak more openly on and maybe don't have the opportunity to as much. So I really appreciate the fact that you're bringing this more personal topic to the podcast and I'm sure yeah. that we'll both get a lot out of today. Definitely. Yeah, just touching on that again, I was speaking to a friend <clears throat> pardon me, earlier today and I was telling her about the fact that I was doing this and that I was going to be talking about my identity and being mixed race. And she was so surprised because she'd never really heard me talk about it. And that was just such a, I don't know, such a, a shock and a realization to myself to realize that 
I should be talking about this more, I suppose. And yeah. And I guess it's, you know, <laughs> it's the should if you want to. And yeah. I think if this is the start of different conversations for a whole range of different people, then that's a really positive thing to come from it. Yeah. Um, I'd love if you could sort of give a little bit of background about your family and how your mum and how your grandparents came to live in Australia and, you know, yeah, about your cultural background and what yeah, that means to you. Definitely. Um, so my um, grandparents moved over here with my mum and my auntie when my mum was about 16 or 17. So she'd had her childhood sort of spent in the Philippines, a, a big family, lots of cousins. Um, and again, I, I'm, this is a, a lot of this history of the Philippines that I'm talking about is anecdotal that I've heard from my parents and my grandparents or my grandpa. Um, but it was sort of at the time of um, President Marcos, who I'm not sure if you've heard about, but was um, basically just a really terrible leader and a dictator basically and there was a lot of political unrest in the Philippines especially the island that my family is from um and there was a lot of like sort of communist sentiments in that area as well and I actually don't know if I mentioned this to you before but the catalyst for my grandpa and grandma coming to Australia was my grandpa's brother actually <clears throat> was killed in the unrest and that's when he was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need to get my family out. He decided that, yeah, he had to sort of move away. And um, he, my grandma's sister was already in Australia and had married an Australian man and sponsored them to come over. And yeah, that's sort of how that started. So with the fact that your mum came to Australia when she was in her late teens, mm -hmm. has she told you about how your grandparents were in the way that they continued to raise her? Was it sort of that reliance still on traditional Filipino values and, you know, family in the way that they came to Australia? Or did she, in mm. her own identity, begin to feel quite Anglo from just being here in her late teens and going into her 20s? Yeah, I... Um, it's a very interesting topic because I haven't explicitly asked my mum that but I think that's also because I know that with something like this, I feel like maybe because of her experience, it's something that she could potentially just brush off and not really want to talk about. And I think that that sort of stems from a level of internalized racism. And um, obviously that comes back to experiences in her childhood and, and I guess sort of like trying to assimilate here. Um, uh, like I, I, I've told you previously, because we have known each other for a very long time, but my um, one of the stories that I've heard about my mum is that once she'd sort of moved here, she was going on a school camp and obviously was still very new to Australia. And I've heard the story from both my dad and my mum's side of things, which sort of complicates it a little bit but basically she'd gone on a camp and only brought thongs and this is in the dead of winter only brought thongs with her and my dad's side of the story is that everyone sort of laughed about it and I think that it made her feel quite uncomfortable but then when I've talked to my mum about that story she sort of laughed it off and said oh no 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 it was fine like no one said anything it wasn't an issue and obviously I I'm not sure what the truth is there um but the fact that there's some sort of conflict to me sort of feels like i don't know there's something there's something there there's an element of truth in what my dad said yeah there's more to the story and maybe as well the fact that she probably had a variety of experiences of maybe feeling you know disconnected from the culture at different times yeah. or like having to have these learning experiences and for her they might have been positive and affirmative because it was just part of her journey mm. but for your dad as an anglo man in australia at the time and having grown up here he probably saw it as that point of difference and yeah. you know those inherent knowledges are mm. present when you've had to change country and where yeah, you live definitely and with your dad as well, like you, he is Anglo, he's Australian yes. background? Yes. Yeah. And did he grow up around Melbourne and that kind of thing as well? Or does he have yeah. his own story? Um, grew up in Ngunnawadding, 
and then has moved sort of around Melbourne, but always stayed here. <laughs> we did a brief stint in Sydney, but yes, has lived his whole life in Australia. Yeah, so quite a different, yeah, just a different cultural journey. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a different cultural journey. And I think it's interesting because he's also been, in some ways, a bit of a, of a champion for trying to encourage me getting closer to my cultural heritage. I think that's something that he's always encouraged and recognized, which is something that I really appreciate from him. Yeah, I was going to ask, growing up for yourself, like, was race and culture talked about in your home as something that was, you know, something to be learnt about and something to be explored? Or was it because it was very normal because it was Mm. your family and that's everyone knew who they were in their own Mm. right? Was it just something that sort of existed and you became more aware of as you, like, started school? Or what was your experience with that as a child? Um. I think it's it's so hard because obviously as a child I think that your view of well my I think my view of my identity and my um, my heritage was very simplified. I knew that I had other mixed Filipino and Aussie friends because we had family friends and then that sort of drifted as I got older. Um, but I think that I did because my mum sort of came here when she was just that little bit younger. And because I think that my dad, you know, likes uh, a meat and three veg and definitely enjoys a lot of maybe um, elements of um, Australian culture, it definitely wasn't a half-half childhood. I think that my, like, thinking of mixed race being on a spectrum, I'm definitely more, I feel more like... I sit on the Caucasian side of things, even if that's not necessarily what I look like. Um, But I mean, at school, I don't think there was ever really, like growing up, there weren't that many times that I necessarily felt other. As a small child, like, you know, just growing up by by the people I went to school with, but it was in all of those ways that I now think are maybe insidious. You know, the representation of Disney princesses and the closest one um, to me that people would sort of say that I looked like was Pocahontas. But, uh, you know, um, that wasn't anywhere sort of near my experience and being called that, you know, like I'm probably a lot closer to Mulan than I am to Pocahontas. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting growing up like that, I suppose. And did you feel that your mum lent into her Filipino heritage in the way that she raised you? Or do you feel like she sort of had taken a step away from it? I think that I guess it's just interesting to me to hear from someone whose parents came to Australia as a teen rather than as a young mm. child because... I can imagine that there's much stronger sense of understanding of both elements rather than being entirely raised in Australia from, you know, birth. Yeah. And I think that's definitely where the one and a half generations comes from is that it kind of feels a little bit unique in the fact that it hasn't been talked about that much. The fact that my mum was that little bit older when she came and how that's impacted on her identity and my identity. And I think that she definitely didn't lean into the culture and I would never blame her for the her actions and the way that she sort of like raised me. But I mean, I think it definitely, so we, my family on my mum's side speaks a regional dialect, Visayan, um, and everyone sort of talks in that language when I'm at my um, grandfather's home. But I actually can't understand that. I think the closer, the thing that's actually helped me the most in understanding that is the year of Spanish that I took at university because the Philippines was a Spanish colony and because that specific dialect still has a lot of Spanish words in it. Um, that's the closest I've sort of come to understanding that. So my mum really, you know, she didn't teach me the language. The closest I really got was the fact that I grew up with a couple of um, mixed race friends and I think a lot of 
the culture comes from food. So my mum would cook some Filipino meals at home or whenever we had a dinner with my um, with my mum's side, there would always be Filipino dishes. Um, and that's, yeah, that's sort of my, my most salient memories about my culture during my childhood is probably the food, which I mean, I think is the experience for a lot of people. But the fact that I haven't been taught the language and there's all of these other elements of it that I don't necessarily know and feels like there's a gap between being mixed race and what that actually is for me is kind of tricky to navigate. And is it something that you've felt like longer term that you felt that gap, that you've seen that difference and, you know, not knowing the language, was that something that bothered you when you were younger or has Mm -hmm. it become something that like, as you've gotten a bit older and maybe broadened your own like social circles and maybe become yeah. better friends with people who have, you know, mixed cultural heritage mm. and seeing how they can engage with their own culture. Has it something that's come later or did you always sort of feel like there was something missing in that way? Yeah. I think growing up, I didn't even give it a second thought that people were speaking a language around me and I just wasn't part of the conversation. And I know that that's something that my dad has struggled with in the past and um, you know, partners of my, my mum's family who don't speak the language would often get frustrated with it. But because I grew up like that, I don't think I ever questioned it in the same way. And it's only since I've become older and I've maybe wanted to participate more in these conversations. Um, like my grandpa is a little bit older now and doesn't, feel I think comfortable speaking as much English anymore he tends to sort of default back into our dialect and that makes it quite difficult for me because I love him so much and I want to be able to communicate with him but there's just that little bit of distance there because of the fact that I've never learnt the language and the trouble with that is that it's not it's not something I can just you know pick up on Duolingo (laughs) Um, it's kind of hard to find resources where I'd be able to learn the language so that's also that other element of it is that it is kind of more niche than just a cultural identity of um, just a country I suppose and is that something that you've become more engaged with like as you've gotten older like I know that it's a it's a topic that I'm sure has come up for you but even in our friendship you know Mm. we haven't spoken very openly about you know the fact that you've been mixed race even though you've sort of had this struggle with that identity and you've felt that that's a part of you Mm. and yet I know that we like have a lot of common shared experiences as young women and we talk extensively about what it means to be like a woman in the world Mm. but at the same time even in that space we haven't necessarily explored those sort of like those racial elements yeah and those you know cultural elements that come into it um So yeah, do you think it's something that you've come to more as you've gotten older or? Definitely. I think the more that I've come to terms with my identity and also just hearing it discussed in different places, whether it be in TV or articles talking about representation and I suppose giving me the the words to actually reflect on my own experience has been really important um and I think also having friends that are also Asian and talking to them about their experience has definitely given me more of an appreciation for my Asian heritage and just helped me to embrace that like I think a friend and I started watching Korean dramas together and you know just talking about um Asian cultures and I think that even something that recently has been uh, eye-opening for me in how it's changed my perception behavior is my attraction to Asian men because that's definitely something that um, I don't know implicitly I think I just hadn't really thought about I don't know there's there's definitely a discourse there of Asian men maybe not being as 
I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, I don't really like, know what I'm in, trying to say. There. In like, I guess it's, <laughs> you know what it, I mean. I know what you mean because like yeah. in Anglo-Caucasian discourse, like the Asian man is not a sexualized being. He's not yeah. high up on that hierarchy. There's a there's a you know there's a category of mm. um, want that and, maybe isn't always present. But yeah. if you and may not necessarily fit into Caucasian beauty standards. Mm. I think that's sort of a big part of it. And um, I think they're just embracing. Asianness in general and coming around to this idea that oh wow that guy's actually super cute and stuff has been extremely empowering for me just in being able to embrace my own Asianness because again I think growing up feeling quite white feeling quite Caucasian it's just yeah, it's difficult to sort of fully... Im- I I found it difficult to embrace that aspect of myself, I think. Yeah, this is... It's also interesting to me because obviously I've grown up... Like, my catch line when people ask me where I'm from is that I am so white that it hurts. <laughs> and so, you know, my experiences around this and my personal, like, comprehension of race has really had to come from outside sources because I live mm. in this privileged white bubble. But I think it's really interesting when you talk about sort of having to embrace you know, your Asian background because that dialogue in society that you're either, you know, you're Asian or you're white or you're black yeah. or you're European or you're, you know, there's all these little categories and you, you it's either or. Yes. And I think something that you've brought up as well that's super mm. important is that it's not either or, it's both at the same time. And finding that representation must be difficult because even when I think of, individuals who exemplify representation and multiculturalism within uh, popular culture and within media, often they are still represented as being wholly one or wholly the other. And yet you are having a lived experience where you're having both and, you know, you're acknowledging the fact that, you know, Anglo perceptions of attraction have infiltrated your own psyche and then, Mm. but then, you're embracing the fact that your Asian culture has enabled you to see it beyond that on maybe an easier level. But then that still has a conversation about race in it. Definitely. I think that, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things that I had to quote unquote unlearn that sort of come with the territory of growing up more Caucasian. Um, But I think that what's the dilemma of being mixed race or my particular experience of it is never quite feeling like you belong. Um, You feel at odds, you know, I I don't feel completely Asian. So talking to my Asian friends about their experience of about racism or whatever, I feel like my opinion isn't worth as much as theirs. And then obviously if I'm with um, Caucasian friends, I don't, always feel like I belong. There's always still that level of otherness that is lying sort of in in the background. Um, And I think what I've been trying to really come to terms with is that, like you were saying, I don't think it has to be a conflict all the time. I hate that it feels like there is a conflict. Why can't I have both and be at peace with both? I think that's what's interesting about my experience, I suppose. And it's 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 much more common than probably we give it credit for as well mm. because I know a lot of friends and a lot of people and a lot of people that I interact with on the day-to-day basis who come from, you know, mixed cultural backgrounds even if that is within two different kinds of Caucasian culture, yeah. you know. Um and it's just interesting though that there has to be this like binary that is created but Mm. then at the same time it does feel somewhat taboo to talk about being mixed race as though it's its own separate thing and Mm. that there can be conversations about race had with someone who doesn't wholly understand the experience of someone who isn't white passing or someone who doesn't fit fully into um the anglo culture in which they maybe have come to live in um you touched on the sort of idea of being white passing or yeah. being out of fit within sort of more Anglo groups of friends in a different way. Do you want to speak a little bit about your experience with that? 
Yeah, I, I would say that my sort of version of you saying that I'm so white it hurts is me sort of joking about the fact that I look very ethnically ambiguous. I wouldn't say I have features that look particularly Filipino or particularly Asian. I definitely have tan skin and I think that that also fits very much into at least Australian uh, cultural beauty norms. Um, and I think that that in itself, the fact that I don't necessarily look Asian, but definitely look different to white people around me, has led to a lot of maybe unique experiences that I've been privy to in that situation amongst um, my white friends than maybe um, some of my other Asian friends have, you know, the situations that they've been in. And in that, do you feel like your experiences of racism have changed? Do you feel like you've experienced racism in an overt way or has it, has it mm. been more sort of uh, underlying because of the fact that you have, you know, yeah, you're ethically, eth <laughs> well, ethically <laughs> ambiguous. So mm. it's in a way more difficult to be pointedly racist towards you yeah, without just othering you in a greater sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that I do have a lot of privilege in that respect. And I um, am very lucky that I haven't really had to deal with a lot of overt racism and hate, I suppose. I've never felt extremely unsafe. A lot of it is more just um, little elements of othering that I've faced, whether that be a stranger asking me where I'm from and I say Melbourne, they say, no, where are you really from? Um, or people, you know, saying that I'm exotic or pointing out my tan skin. Uh, I've definitely had my fair share of um, things that I would consider to be quite overtly racist as well. Um, uh, one in particular that I can think about that has stuck with me and I think that it really feeds into this idea that I am maybe a little bit more white passing is that potentially that makes my friends feel more comfortable being a little bit racist around me and feeling like I'll be fine with it. Um, so one of my friends one time was introducing uh, me to her family and I was with my boyfriend um, who had already met her family and basically said, oh, hi, here's so-and-so and his mail order bride. And she probably didn't think anything of it. She was laughing, her family was laughing. I awkwardly laughed along, but my gut dropped immediately. And that was something that was really awful for me because I have, been embarrassed of impressions of my parents uh, because my dad is the Australian one and my mum is the Filipino. I feel like there's so many stereotypes of Asian women being, you know, sub subservient and, and, you know, white men wanting Asian women as wives because there's this fetishization of them being, you know, so subservient in a domestic way and then maybe like hypersexual in the bedroom and there's all of those elements of it and then on top of that my parents do have a bit of an age gap and I know personally that they met fell in love and got married but sometimes and I hate that I feel this way and I'm embarrassed to talk about it but I sometimes feel embarrassed and I'm concerned about what people's first impression of that would be if I'm introducing my parents together. So she just really, with saying that very flyaway comment, hit the nail on the head for me. And that was something that's really stuck with me, I suppose. And those kinds of comments as well, when they're coming from people who are your friends mm. and it was said in, it wasn't intentionally harmful, but at the end of the day, it was a racist comment to make yeah. and also puts you in an awkward position of, are you in the introduction to a friend's family going to pull her up in front of everyone in a room of white people, mind you, mm. and say, no, no, that's racist. You're not <laughs> going to do that because it's not 
we all understand what that feeling is, not necessarily in terms of race or being caught out in something like that, but mm. an inappropriate comment being made about an element of your identity and you're not being able to stand up for yourself in that instance. But that yeah. then perpetuates that kind of language. Definitely. And I hate myself for not saying anything at the time and for standing up for myself, but I don't know what else I would have done in that situation. I was obviously uncomfortable, but... Yeah, I, I don't think that I was in a position that I felt um, safe or comfortable enough to bring her up on that. And now not only have I sort of made that sort of language acceptable for her to sort of talk about me in, but that could be used as an excuse because I've seemed fine with it for her to then go and talk to other people in that same sort of language. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's so difficult because the position that sometimes I've found myself in has l led me to not be able to, yeah, I suppose be, be able to call these things out. You sort of spoke about in that, and you also mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like not wanting to speak on behalf of others or not yeah. wanting to say something incorrect because you don't want to misrepresent the experience as a whole. But I sort of wanted to tap into that a little bit more and ask, like, do you feel because you are mixed race and that, you know, typifies you as a minority group within mm. Australia, do you feel a responsibility to speak more for your community than just for yourself in those instances? And is that pressure sometimes detrimental to the conversations you want to have? I think that, and again, I feel like I may be a little bit privileged in this, is that there's not, it's not every day that I have to defend my heritage or talk about race and basically be using, just be completing sort of an emotional labor style thing of having to explain and justify myself. So in that regard, I think that I'm quite lucky that when I do have these conversations, I feel very open to it. It's not something that I have to do on a on a day-to-day -day basis. So I definitely have talked to a lot of um, a lot of white friends about race. And in those situations where it usually is a group of white people and then it's me, and I sort of feel like I have to talk on behalf of Asians in Australia. And I again I feel sort of I don't like doing that because I've, I don't even feel valid talking about my Asian experience in Australia, I suppose, because it is only half of who I am. And then at that, I'm still on that other side of the spectrum. So it can be difficult. And I feel like I am someone that tries to do a lot of research and to educate myself, not only on the experience of, say, Asians in Australia, but of Indigenous peoples in Australia and... Uh, talking about, you know, black people in America and things like that. So a lot of the time, it's not even just me talking about Asians in Australia, but we might just be having a general topic and it comes to America. And since I'm the only one that's experienced racism, I sort of have to talk on that. Um, and it's weird to extrapolate that because it doesn't compare at all. Um, but I'm the only one that's had any sort of experience so I have to say something on it. I can't just let that conversation go a certain way if I feel like it's it's not going the way that it should be, I suppose. It kind of feels like, and correct me if I'm like drawing an assumption that's not true, but it's almost like your racial identity only becomes relevant in conversation, particularly with white people, when it's sort of helpful or it adds to the conversation. Like, yeah, so you're having mm. a conversation about a different topic and it's not a recognised thing that you might have a different experience or that you have something different to say because of your childhood and because of your cultural background. But then when you want to talk about race, everyone looks to you as the non-white person. And yet 10 minutes ago, no one would have recognised you for not being part of the same level of conversation. Yeah. And it's weird because I think that that's something that's made me feel guilty in the past. The fact that I can sort of weave my way through these situations and in some ways use it to my benefit when I want if I see something and I'm like that's not okay and then they're sort of needing me to legitimize 
why I, I might say that. And it's like, well, I've had the experience of racism. Um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's so weird how that sort of plays into things as well. And I've talked to other mixed race people about how they feel about it as well, because it, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how I feel, how important my voice is, I suppose, in different scenarios. And going back a little bit, both, you know, historically, but also into the conversation, you obviously spoke about your granddad being sort of the catalyst and the change maker mm. for moving your family here. And yeah. he is an immigrant. He was, you know, he yeah. was Filipino. He grew up in the Philippines mm-hmm. and he moved here and moved his family here. I'm not sure if you've spoken to him much about his experience in Australia, but do you, you feel that he had a particular experience in Australia being an Asian man or was he able to find a place of belonging through himself and through the community that he joined when he moved to Australia? I actually haven't talked to him about that in in a lot of detail. I think partly because I'm actually not sure if we could have this sort of conversation and him be able to keep up in English and maybe to conceptualise these sort of things. Um, but... From what I can gather, I think that he um, definitely has had a lot of uh, Filipino... He sort of immersed himself in the Filipino culture here, but also um, I think a lot of other immigrants. Um, A story that I would absolutely love to share on the podcast is... Which I find really inspiring and means a lot to me is my, um, my grandpa, when he first moved to Australia settled into the the place that they were renting in the first day he arrived and then the second day woke up very early in the morning and probably about five in the morning just had to walk to work because he didn't have a car and started work at a leather factory and worked there until he retired at maybe 76 77 um and yeah i i think for me, that story just has so much meaning and emotion behind it because I think of the sacrifices that he's had to make in the life that I have now in comparison. But um, I think that he definitely, his experience of being in Australia was probably surrounded by a lot of other lower socioeconomic, probably immigrant um, people and families, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, your story and when we've talked about your experiences with your family, it feels like you were given space and your mum sounds like she was given space as well Mm. to find a place of balance in Australia and that she wasn't sort of strictly confined to the traditional cultural values Mm. maybe that your grandparents might have wanted to carry through from the Philippines but also maybe there is a difference as well and this might be my own ignorance between you know what the cultural values and norms of the Philippines are compared to maybe some other countries which have more restrictive traditional beliefs around um, particularly around gender and around Mm. you know when there are immigrant families but it sounds like your grandfather wanted there to be space at least in your mum and your own life to be Australian as part of that yeah. and that seems to carry through in the way you speak about them as well. Definitely um, and I think that my, my parents definitely, I know that sometimes I'll call my mum up now and ask for the recipe for a Filipino dish that she used to cook a lot when I was younger and she, she loves that and she thinks it's really great that I'm trying to embrace my culture um, and my parents definitely did while I was growing up take me to the Philippines um, and I'd also just like to briefly touch on that um, there's definitely also been a struggle there in terms of the the island that my family is from is also quite dangerous at the moment. I think on the um, Smart Travel website, it's uh, uh, the specific southern island that my family is from. Uh, there's like a red do not travel here because of political um, unrest. I think that ISIS is sort of made camp there and there's a lot of yeah just a a lot of political unrest a lot of um kidnappings and beheadings and things like that so i would love to go and 
and spend a couple of months just living with family there and be able to experience that side of, I don't know, have an immersion of the culture. But I've, I've been told by not only my, my dad and my mum, but by my grandpa that it's too dangerous for me to go. And there's um, that sort of restricting me from understanding my culture as well. But going back to the question, um, I think that there definitely there was definitely free reign. And because of the fact that I grew up in Australia, I had white friends. I watched TV where all of the main characters were white. I don't think I lent into my culture as much as I, I know my parents would have um, responded to and uh, accepted just because of what else was around me, I suppose. Yeah, there was sort of room for you to have lent either way more strongly and your parents mm. would have been there regardless yeah. of that. And I guess where where do you feel like you are now on this journey to understanding your culture more? Because it's definitely something you've spoken about in terms of like coming to it and learning more about yeah. it. And where do you feel like you are in this moment and maybe where are you looking to like what would you like to sort of explore more or know more about I think I'm definitely learning to embrace my Asian-ness and to be comfortable doing so I know that I none of my friends would blink an eye with me you know em- embracing that part of myself but it's just sort of unlearning all of those biases that I grew up with and loving those elements of myself and being okay with the fact that this is a, a journey for myself. I feel I feel like I'm always really inadequate when I meet other half Filipino people and they seem to be a lot more Filipino than me. They they know the language, they will ask me lots of questions like, oh, do you eat this thing or blah, 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 does your mum do this thing? And I'm like, uh, no, she doesn't. <laughs> and I think it's just being okay with the fact that there is a spectrum and where I am is fine for now, but maybe it's not where I want to be in five years. I think I kind of want to be a little bit more in the middle and I know that that's going to take time and it's going to take effort, but I really want to know more about that side of myself and to see what sticks and be able to sort of forge my own path, I suppose. And do you feel like part of that as well is like, you know, doing something like this and talking about it and having these conversations, do you feel like that's adding to your sort of like strength of self in that cultural identity definitely i think just being able to talk about it out loud and have someone else listen to it is extremely empowering it's not just me thinking my own head about these things um but i also i'm just so excited to be able to speak about my own experiences because i don't really hear about them I think I, I've been really excited because I think there's a new Disney movie coming out next year called um, Rhea and the Last Dragon, I think. And it's the first Southeast Asian um, heroine in like a Disney movie. And I'm so excited that there's something like that coming out because that's something that I didn't have during my childhood. And it's incredible to see that you know, a, another little mixed race Sam sort of person growing up nowadays is going to have her as a role model when I just had Mulan and Pocahontas. Not to say that they didn't do incredible things, but for someone to really look like me and have my sort of heritage, I think it's just so important to be seen and to be seen when you're young because now I'm having to deal with these conflicts in myself Whereas if maybe I'd grown up with them being more readily available in outside of my family, I think I wouldn't be having this conversation in the same way that we've just had it. Yeah, and I think it, it also, though, serves the purpose of an educational tool for people who don't come from a mixed-race background. Like, mm-hmm. I 
I grew up in a household where we did talk about race on some levels and, you know, my mum was great at educating me about in, the Indigenous Australian culture and around, you know, the diverse range of um, communities that we had in Australia. And I, I understood at a young age that there was, like, so many different languages and so many different um, Indigenous persons that belong to completely unique communities. But at the same time, I'm white. And I've grown up in a white world and I've grown up in a world where I consume white media and the Disney's princesses did look like me and my friends because mm. I was white. And it is kind of an interesting thing to navigate as well as trying to be somebody who can understand or be sympathetic towards people with different backgrounds and cultural identities, but then at the same time not wanting to tread on anyone's toes and not wanting to force anyone to be the educator, particularly yeah. when, you know, there's a lot of conversation around, you know, educate yourself, you know, research yourself and you can do that, but there is something, there's something more that can be gained by representation and also by being able to have like those genuine personal conversations because Definitely. you can learn about a different cultural background, but it's a lot harder to learn on Google and from Wikipedia and from, you know, more serious sources about how someone feels Definitely. in their cultural identity. And I think that's what's so special about us having this conversation is that I've known you for so long and it's such a, I feel so comfortable being open and us having this dialogue, which might only happen behind closed doors norm normally, um, and being able to sort of put that out there into the world and have other people listen to that's not in my circle of friends necessarily, who I might've talked about that with is so powerful because yeah, I think that a lot of the time people feel uncomfortable talking about race and feel like maybe they need to just be quiet but there's still a lot of questions that people have and being able to ask them and and educate yourself with someone who's willing to talk about their experience is such a a great way to to learn and to grow um yeah <laughs> yeah i think it's that you know and there's there's elements on every side and there's you know you sort of can second guess yourself even as I'm speaking now there's things I keep wanting to like double check myself so mm. I'm not saying the wrong thing but I think you know when you've cultivated a friendship and a relationship with somebody and they express that identity it is the perfect opportunity in most circumstances to have that genuine clear an honest and empathetic conversation about these things because yeah. it's a, as much as about learning about your friend and learning about them as a whole person, which you should want to do in every other element of their identity, that it is about then being able to become more educated about race and culture and conversations that lend themselves to it in a bigger way to actually having a more genuine understanding of what that experience is like. Definitely. And... I think it's important to, when people are open to it, having those conversations, obviously. I can imagine a lot of people who do have those conversations every day just don't want to have to deal with that. But us being able to have it is, is great. And then hopefully that sparks other people talking about this as well. And, you know, that just that butterfly effect of real world conversations taking place that might lead to some sort of change in perception. So if there was something that you could tell the community to do to get themselves started on this topic and to know more about it, what would you, what would you want everyone to spend some time doing after they listen to this episode? I think because of, uh, the experience that I had today, which I talked about, um, with my friend who I've known since we were, I think maybe 12, saying that I hadn't really ever talked to her about my heritage and how I felt about race before. Um, if you have mixed race friends, maybe have a conversation with them about it because they might not have the opportunity to talk about it in, 
in that genuine, sincere way where it's not them having to feel like they're being a representative of, you know, other people talk about their personal experience or um, if you don't know any mixed race people, talk to your parents about their heritage and maybe just think about what your culture means to you and how that maybe plays into how you talk to other people and just being aware of maybe othering people I suppose yeah I think it's really important as well to like if you're going to broach those conversations with friends yeah to frame it around the fact that you want to know about them as a whole person because Mm. I want to know about all the different elements of the people that I'm friends with and sometimes those things are going to be race and they're going to be gender and they're going to be all these different intersections that we touch on. But at the end of the day, it's about being like a good friend and being a true ally to different communities by actually genuinely caring about those facets of the people that you know, not just when it's convenient for the conversation that you're having with them. Definitely. And I think that that's a big element of things as well is being able to educate yourself so that you can be an ally so that, you know, in a situation that I've been in previously where everyone's been laughing at a a racist joke made at my expense, someone else can actually say, that's not really okay, maybe we shouldn't say that instead of it having to always be my burden to to acknowledge that that was not okay. Yeah, and that's just so important. It's such an important thing is that if you have the understanding it's do the best you can and then when you know better do better and I think that's so applicable in this situation and recognizing that it is a lot easier for the individual who is more in with whoever you're surrounded by than Mm -hmm. it is for the person who maybe can speak most emotionally connected to the problem it's easier then to be an ally by speaking up for that person because it shouldn't be, yeah, it shouldn't be your burden in every scenario and especially not when you're with friends. Definitely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this because it is a difficult conversation to have and I hope that I have spoken to it in a way that is clear and demonstrates the fact that I am learning too and that I'm trying to come to the conversation with an open mind Um, But yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I would also just like to give you a big thank you. And I appreciate you because you have in another way demonstrated yourself as an ally by giving me the agency to come to your podcast and to steer the conversation and to say what I would like to say and to give me the space to do that in a, a comfortable way. And I think that that was it's been a really cathartic thing for me as well and a really empowering thing for me so a big thank you to you for giving me that space to do so well I'm glad that I'm able to hold that space for this and I hope that you know this podcast is ideally a space where anyone from any kind of background in any kind of way in any kind of lived experience can speak their own truth because I think that's the thing these are the conversations that we're maybe not having enough and are actually some of the most interesting, important ones to have because they are tricky and because they are hard. So hopefully this can spark some, some further conversations in everyone who's listening and the friends that they have and in themselves about why we maybe don't talk about these topics and why we're scared to talk the talk about them and how we can maybe overcome that. Definitely. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Um, I'm sure Sam and I would love to hear your thoughts and personal experiences as well on the Facebook community. This was episode seven of Get Me Started with the lovely Sam. Thank you guys for listening and we'll speak to you soon.